Hello and welcome to Day 3 Live, the live broadcast of Sunday morning service at Day 3 Church in Granite Falls, North Carolina. You can learn more about our ministry at day3church.org or find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash d3church. I remember as a kid pretending to be someone else, usually a superhero or a cowboy. When you're a kid, pretending can be a great thing for developing your imagination and a lot of fun. But when you become an adult, pretending to be someone you're not is usually not a good thing. That's why we're doing a series based on 1 John called The Pretenders, where we're exploring what it means to be an authentic Christ follower. Today's message is called, What Are You Practicing? We believe that God is waiting to speak to you today, so sit back and join us for the next few minutes. It's Day 3 Live, and it starts right now. We're doing a new series entitled The Pretenders. Um, there's a division inside the United States Treasury that has as their assignment or their task to track down counterfeiters. And the way they prepare themselves to do that may seem a little bit strange to you because you might think, all right, they, they spend time studying counterfeit bills, but they actually do the opposite. What they do is study the authentic currency, the authentic bill. So much so that they're so well familiar with what the bill looks like, even the texture of the paper, that sometimes they can tell just by feeling of the bill if it is real or not. That's kind of the goal of First John. Now, we're not doing first verse by verse through First John. We're going to do a little bit of a, a three-week overview in First John. But, it, but it's kind of there to help us evaluate uh, whether we're really authentic uh, today, we're going to talk about what we're practicing in our lives, whether we're practicing the things we ought to uh, or not, or if we're part of a group that I'm calling the pretenders. You're kind of like a counterfeit bill, just like they're counterfeit currency. Uh, they're, they're counterfeit Christians. Uh, problem is, sometimes they may not even realize that. They may not even know that uh, they've not really, really given their life to Christ. Here, here's kind of a send-off verse for us, and we'll come back to it uh, near the end of the message. But in 1 John 3, if you want to find your place in, in 1 John 3, that's predominantly where we'll be at today. But in 1 John 3, uh, in verse 10, it, it says this, uh, By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. So the main approach of 1 John is to provide us some characteristics of an authentic believer so we can distinguish counterfeit believers. It's a three-part series, and uh, here's what we're going to talk about. What are you practicing? That's today. In other words, predominantly, what are you practicing in your life? Or are you practicing sin? Or are you practicing righteousness? What God wants you to practice. Uh, next week, we're going to talk about who and how are you loving? I mean, that's kind of a serious thing there at the end of verse 10. I read a moment ago, uh, it says, Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Have you ever met somebody that hates people for years and years and years and years and years? Somebody ticked them off for some reason and they just hate them, you know, for then on. I've even seen it in church. What do you do with a verse like this? You know, if you, if you carry that type of spirit, uh, about you. 
And then we'll finish up talking about where are you walking, because uh, earlier in 1 John it talks about walking in light or walking uh, in, in darkness. So today, uh, we're talking about what are we practicing, what are we practicing. We just spent uh, a few weeks, four weeks, talking about righteousness. And we finished up talking about practicing righteousness. So this is kind of like an extension of the righteousness series. I didn't even know we were going to do it until about a week ago, and God kind of laid it on my heart. And it's kind of a rubber meets the road type of book, First John is, where it challenges us to distinguish if we're authentic Christians who prove our faith in Christ by our actions. I want to ask you to do this over the next three weeks. In your personal devotion time, I want to ask you to be reading one chapter of First John today. Now, there are five chapters, so that means this. You're going to read it over and over and over again for three weeks. As you are reading it, I want you to pay attention to phrases like, by this, by this, because it's a recurring phrase in 1 John. And also pay attention to, to this phrase, if we say. It's easy to say something, isn't it? I mean, anybody can claim something, it's easy to say it. But pay attention to those phrases as you read through uh, 1 John and uh, and really ask God to help you just distinguish, hey, am I real? Am I an authentic believer as you're reading through First John over the next three weeks? Uh, or am I part of this group that I'm calling the pretenders? Now, I know that's a serious question for me to confront you with that. Are you really a Christian or are you a pretender? And while it might be a serious question, guys, I'd rather get it right now than it'd be too late to get it right. Huh? Stand at the judgment seat of Christ and there's no... There, there, there's no mulligans. There, there's no backup and doing it again, you know, at, uh, at that point. He says a lot of serious things, First John does. Let me give you a sample of uh, that. First John 5, verse uh, 19, the second part of the verse, says, And the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. You, you want to understand why things are in a mess? There it is. You understand why our culture is so screwed up? Because the, the world, the world system, lies in the power of the evil one. And in 1 John 3, verse 6 through 8, I'm not going to read the verse right now because we'll go through it uh, in the message this morning, but, but it says no one uh, abides in him who keeps on sinning, who is habitually sinning, who's repetitively sinning. It's the practice of their, of their life. So today, let's just ask ourselves, what are we practicing? So to begin with, I uh, want you to consider this, what you are practicing should be driven. It should be motivated. It should be driven by whose you are and by what you shall be. Now, now here's why I say that. Whose you are, look at, look at 1 John 3, verse 1, and the first part of verse 2. See what kind of love the Father has given us that we should be called children of God. Then notice what it says, and so we are. And then he gives us a little explanation of it. He says the reason why the world doesn't know us, in other words, as believers, because it didn't know him. The world wasn't interested in knowing Christ. It's not interested in knowing God. Uh, I mean, Romans chapter 1 gives us a lot of information about that and, and everything. So, so why should we think uh, all the world ought to be pleased with us as believers when they weren't pleased with him? They hated him. But then he says again uh, this. He said, beloved, we are God's children now. So if you've trust Christ as your Savior, you're part of the family of God. You are God's children 
now. Have you ever been told this phrase, maybe when you're growing up as a teenager, you're getting ready to go somewhere with some friends or whatever, and maybe your parents called you off to the side, or maybe your mom, moms are better about that than dads maybe sometimes, and they said something like this to you, remember whose you are. You ever been told something like that? You remember we tried to raise you a certain way. You, you remember as you're out there that, that what you do is kind of a reflection of us. Well, I want you to apply that phrase to us as believers. We need to remember whose we are. The, the Bible says that we know Christ as our Savior. We've been made to be the children of God. Through faith in Christ, we are God's children now. And, and I'm just saying this, guys. Our practices in life should reflect that we're the children of God. I, I read a story about a group of teenagers that were at a party. And uh, they were at a party at, at a friend's house, and the parents knew all about that. But then this discussion came up among those teenagers. Why don't we leave here, and why don't we go to this night spot? And uh, a girl by the name of Jan that was there at the party heard them talking about it. And she told her boyfriend that night, uh, when they were talking about going to this night spot, she said, well, I, I would just rather you take me home. So some of the other friends there started hearing the discussion, and, and they started ripping her a little bit. And they said, oh, you're, you're afraid if you go there and your dad finds out you've been there, he might hurt you. And she responded, no, I'm not afraid that my dad might hurt me. I'm afraid that I might hurt my father. She understood her father loved her. She didn't want to sin against her father's love. Guys, that's the mindset we ought to have as believers, who we are. We belong to the Father. We, we shouldn't have the desire to sin against Him because He's the Father and He's proved He loved us by sending His Son to die on the cross. I, I think there's a little bit of a distinction between non-Christians and, and Christians when they, they sin. Now, sin, sin, so I'm not saying that, but I'm saying this. When, when a non-Christian sins, a non-Christian is sinning against his Creator. When a Christian sins, we're sinning against our Father. We're sinning against the one that loved us enough to put His Son on the cross for us. When a non-Christian sins, he's sinning against the law. When you and I sin, we're not under the law anymore as believers. We're sinning against the very love of God. We're sinning against the very love of the Father. When we choose to sin, and I'm just saying we ought to remember who we are and whose we are and be sure we're not sinning against the Father. But we also need to remember this. We need to remember what we shall be. We should be driven in our practices, the way we live our lives, based upon whose we are, but based upon what we shall be also. Look at verse 2, and let's pick up in the second part of verse 2 of 1 John 3. And what we will be has not yet appeared. In other words, we don't know exactly what we will be like one day in the future when Jesus comes back. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. Now stop for a minute. Guys, that's pretty good news, isn't it? I've read in the Bible what Jesus is like and how Jesus acts and who he is. I've read about him in all of his glory and revelation. And the Bible saying when he comes back, we're going to be like him. That, that's tremendous news. But it goes on and says, because we'll see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself, for he's pure. Remember the old children's song, He's Still Working on Me? It's true, isn't it? <laughs> he's still working on us. We haven't arrived. We're not perfect now. 
We don't know exactly what we will be, but when he appears, we know we'll be like him. Is, is, is that good news? Do you like that, that you'll be like him one day? Thought I'd ask you for a minute, would you like to have cancer? <laughs> well, if you like that, you have to read the rest of it too. You, you know what I found we tend to do? Oh, when he comes back, I'm going to be like him. <laughs> See, he, he's given us right now the righteousness of his son. He's imputed it to us when we believed in him by faith. One day, he's going to clothe us in his glory. <laughs> One day, we'll be like him in eternity. But if we like that, read the second part of that, verse 3. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. You, you like the hope of being like him. You like that thought that one day when he comes, you'll be, you'll be enthroned, you'll be clothed in his glory one day. That's tremendous news. But if you hope for that, you ought to be purifying your life right now because he's pure. You ought to have the desire to, to practice the right things that he wants you to practice, to be concerned about his will because he is pure. Second thing I want to see this morning is this. What you are practicing should not only be driven by who you are and what you shall be, but secondly, what you are practicing, the way you're living your life, should be driven by what Christ came to do. Look what we find in, in verse 4 and verse 5. Everyone who makes a practice of sin and also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he, talking about Jesus, that he appeared to take away sins, and in him, there's no sin. Because that verse is telling us this. Jesus suffered on the cross. He carried our sins to the cross, not so we can keep on practicing sin. He, he didn't do it so we can keep living the way we used to live. He didn't do it so we could keep practicing sin and lawlessness. The Bible said there that sin is lawlessness, and, and that word lawlessness means rebellion or defiance. That, that's really what sin is. Sin is lawlessness or rebellion and defiance against God's will. Sin is basically a matter of the will because we want to assert our will against God's will, and when we do that, that's rebellion. We're rebelling against God, and that's the very root of sin when we rebel like that little girl was riding down the road with her, with her father, and she was in the back seat. And uh, all of a sudden, she unhooked the seatbelt, and she started just standing up in the back seat. And the father kept telling her, sit down. And she kept rebelling. She kept refusing. She wouldn't sit down. So finally, can you imagine what's coming next? The father said, if you don't sit down, I'm going to pull off the side of the road, and I'm going to... Spank you. To which the little girl instantly sat down. And she's back there fuming, sitting in the back seat, quiet for just a minute. And finally she spoke up and said something to her father. She said, but daddy, I'm still standing up on the inside. Yeah, guys, that's our problem when it comes to rebelling against God. As a believer, I'm not supposed to be standing up on the inside. He is. <laughs> he, 
See, his purpose and his will is supposed to be what's standing up in my life. Not me standing up and exerting my will and my authority against him. Jesus didn't come to take away our sins for us to keep practicing rebellion or defiance against God. Instead, Jesus came to take away our sins, carried our sins to the cross to fully pay for them. He's the only one that could do that because he's the only one in whom there was no sin. And when Jesus did that for us, because he did that for us, you and I should not have the desire to habitually sin, to keep practicing sin, to rebel and live in defiance of our Father. 1 John chapter 3, verse 8, the second part of verse 8 says this, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Jesus didn't come to help the devil build his kingdom. He didn't come to prop up the devil. He didn't come so the devil could keep trying to to have his way. He didn't come to give the devil a second chance. And we shouldn't be doing that in our lives. The things we practice in our lives ought to be driven by what Christ came to do. He came to take away sin. That means we shouldn't have the desire to be living in sin. And he came to destroy the works of the devil. And we ought to live our lives in that way, guys, understanding that Jesus doesn't want us practicing sin as our lifestyle. Now, guys, I want to point out something. I'm talking to believers because 1 John was written to believers. I'm not talking to the world out there that doesn't know any better. For first John was written to believers, we're, we're supposed to be concerned about God's will. We're, we're supposed to be practicing righteousness instead of practicing sin. First John 2:29 says this: "If you know He is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of Him." I mean, honestly, ask yourself this morning, what's driving your life? What is the driving force of your life? Is it what Christ did on the cross for you? Is it what he came to do to take away sin? He came to destroy the works of the devil. Is that the driving force of your life? Is that what you're practicing in your life? Or is the devil and his works what you're practicing? I mean, be honest. I'm not asking you to stand up and give a testimony, but be honest. Evaluate. That's what First John is about. Evaluate what you're practicing in your life. And if you know he's righteous, you know that you're supposed to be practicing righteousness to prove that you've been born to him. Third thing I want you to see today is this. What you're practicing, first of all, ought to be driven by who you are and what you will be. What you're practicing, the way you're living your life, ought to be driven by what Christ came to do. But thirdly, what you're practicing should be driven by abiding in Christ. Look at verse 6 through 9. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Isn't that a little bit scary? I mean, honestly, read that and think about it. Little children, let no one deceive you. And the reason he says that at the point that John was writing this, there's a group of people going around saying, we don't matter what you do in your body. It's all about your spirit. You've already been saved. You've been redeemed. Your spirit's going to heaven. Doesn't matter what you do with your body. And that was a lie. And that's why John is writing this. Don't let anybody deceive you. Then he goes on and says, whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. 
Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared, as I read a moment ago, was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. Now, guys, let's just be honest. Those verses ought to get our attention a little bit. I mean, that's a little bit worrisome to read that. Do, do you have a repetitive sin problem? Do you have an habitual sin problem? The where you, you, you have maybe a, a particular thing you just can't let it go of and it, and it keeps popping up and popping up and popping up? Can I suggest something to you? If you're an authentic believer, I said, yeah. If you're an authentic believer, maybe it's not as much of a sin problem as it is an abiding problem. In, in other words, guys, if we're abiding in Christ, that, that means we're fellowshipping with Him. We, we're reading His Word. We're spending time in prayer. We, we're allowing this to impact us. We're, we're trying to, to stay with him, trying to stay in his will. The, the word abide literally means to stay in a given place, state, relation, or expectancy. It's also translated uh, as continue, dwell, be present, remain, stand, or tarry. It's a word that's speaking of fellowship. God, God expects us to fellowship with him. Christ wants to fellowship with us. He, he, he doesn't want us to do something similar to this, to where we... We, we come to him and we say, God, forgive me. Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for me. I'm asking you to come into my heart and be my Lord and Savior. Uh, thank you for doing that, Jesus. And uh, uh, I'm just going to turn my back now and I'm going to live however I want to live. What kind of relationship would you have in marriage if that's what you did? If you never fellowshiped any with your spouse. Or with friends that you have, if you never fellowshiped with them, what would you know about them? What closeness would you have with them? What type of level of intimacy would you have? See, that, that's what he's telling us to do. We, we need to abide in him. We need to be staying with, with him. Because the more we fellowship with Christ, the more we know him, the more we love him, I, I think this is going to happen. The more empowered we're going to be to say no to sin. The more enabled we're going to be to overcome temptation. The less we will practice sin if we'll spend time abiding with Him. Some people depend on the translation they're reading in First John. And I understand how they can get to this conclusion. There's some translations, if you read in First John, makes it sound like you're saved, you sin, you messed up forever. In, in other words, you're lost now. And that's why some translations make it sound. It doesn't... Talk about the tense of practicing, and that's why I want you to hear that out, practice. I'll say more about that in a moment. But I understand how some people can read First John and think, oh, so I can lose my salvation? Well, let me tell you, that's impossible. Amen? Predominantly, when you read about salvation, it says He gives us, through our faith in Christ, He gives us what kind of life? Eternal life. How long is eternal? But also some people can read First John and they'll come away with the conclusion 
that might be a possibility. You can't lose your salvation. They'll come away with the conclusion, maybe I've never been saved, and that can be a possibility. Or somehow you deceived yourself. You walked in all of vacation Bible school because your buddy did. And you never really trust your Christ as your Savior. By association, you thought yourself a Christian because grandma took you to church. And you never really understood what it was all about. Now, guys, listen closely. I'm, I'm not trying to get you off the hook of conviction. Listen to what I'm saying. And, and as you read First John over the next three weeks, or you listen to these messages, if, if God, if the Holy Spirit begins to take what's in First John and begins to convict you that you really, really don't know Jesus, then you listen to the Holy Spirit of God. Amen? I'm not trying to free you from true God-given conviction. But I will tell you this. Over the years I've been in the ministry, I've met a lot of believers who were struggling around in their life, and their problem wasn't so much a sin problem as it was an abiding problem. No one had ever discipled them. No one had ever told them, hey, you really need to read your Bible. You need to pray. You need to spend time with Jesus. You need to fellowship with Him. They weren't doing any of those things, and then they wonder why they were lean and why they would be so easily tripped up by temptation. If you take a, a plant and you take it away from its sustenance, what's going to happen to the plant? It's going to wither. And if a believer is not fellowshipping with Jesus as they should, they're going to, they're going to wither some, be lean in their soul. They're going to have more problems than they would if they were actually abiding with Christ. So it may not be that a person is, is lost. It may be they really know Christ as their Savior, but they have an abiding problem. But at the same time, it could be the person really doesn't know Christ as their Savior. These are some serious verses. Let me just pull the highlights out again of, of some of the verses we read right there in verse 6 and <clears throat> verse 7 and 8, verse 9. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No, no one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. The second part of verse 6. Verse 7 and the first part of verse 8, don't be deceived. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as Christ is righteous, but whoever practices sinning is of the devil because the devil has been practicing sin from the beginning. First John 3, 9, no one born of God makes a practice of sinning because God's seed abides in him, and thus he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. Guys, through faith in Christ, the moment you trust Christ as your Savior, God puts His seed in you. Have you ever thought about it like that? I mean, that's kind of a word He's using for the Holy Spirit. God puts His righteousness in you. And I'm not trying to be improper, but I think the, the Holy Spirit's actually wanting us to consider it like this. It's like God impregnates you with His own divine spirituality, with who He is. He puts His seed in you, and that means you're supposed to be His offspring. You're supposed to act like Him. If God plants His seed, it ought to look like what He's planted. Amen? It shouldn't look like the seed the devil planted. It ought to look like what He planted. The Bible clearly teaches in other places, a seed produces after its kind. And if God put His seed in you, that means you ought to be practicing righteousness in 
your life. 1 John 5, verse 18, the first part of the verse says, We know that everyone who's been born of God does not keep on sinning. Is that a little bit scary? Does that concern you a little bit? Once again, I'm not trying to get you off the hook. If it's Holy Spirit conviction, you listen to Him. But can I tell you what is meant by all this? In the Greek language, there are different tenses that are used. And it's pretty important. And some translations don't point it out. The, the tense is used here in, in the Greek for the phrase practice of sinning or practices righteousness or keeps on sinning. In the Greek, is a tense that speaks of this. It speaks of a present action or a state where the subject exists in that action or state. So let me unpack that a little bit more. It means an action or a state where the person exists in that action or state. You understand what I'm saying? That person is doing what they're doing because that's who they are. They can't help but practice sin. They can't help but habitually live a life of a sin because that's who they are. They're lost in their sin. And, and, and a Christian, a true Christian, will not habitually practice sin. That's not the state that you're in. If you know Christ as your Savior, the state that you're in is in righteousness. You've been given the righteousness of Christ. And if you've been given the righteousness of Christ, you can't just keep on habitually sinning. It's like maybe some scales. Hey, put your life on the scale for a minute. If the bulk of your life is sin, you've got a problem. And if you can sin and sin and sin and it never bother you and you never feel any conviction that you're sinning against the Father's love and against the Father's will and it doesn't bother you at all and you never feel the chastisement of God, I think Hebrews tells us if he doesn't chasten us, we're illegitimate. That if he doesn't correct us, if he doesn't let you keep going, you're, the, the King James said you're a bastard instead of really being a child of his. So if you can just habitually sin and not be bothered by it whatsoever, and that's the bulk of your life, maybe you need to evaluate whether you really know Christ as your Savior or not. But if on the other hand, the bulk of your life is righteousness and trying to do what the Father wants, but every now and then you've got a sin. Remember, we're not perfect yet, amen? He's not appeared yet. We're not like Him yet. But every now and then you've got this occasional sin. I'm not talking about the whole habit of your life, an occasional sin. This verse isn't talking about occasional sins. It's talking about people who practice it habitually. And that's what their life is because that's who they are. That's what it means when it says keep on sinning. See, the Bible does not teach sinless perfection. <laughs> Matter of fact, 1 John 1, 8, and 9 says this. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. He's talking to believers. And the truth's not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just. Forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He's saying even as believers, we will sin. We're not perfect yet. We will sin. But what's the majority of your life? In the Bible, every great character in the Bible, personality in the Bible, sinned except for Jesus. 
Abraham sinned by lying about his wife. He got him into trouble. Now, I'm sure he did more than just lie about his wife. He probably lied to his wife sometimes, you know. Moses got in trouble because of his temper. He committed murder to start with. That got him in trouble. But later on, he hit the rock that represented Jesus the second time, frustrated with the children of Israel. And God never told him to hit it the second time because it's a picture of Christ. Christ would only be crucified once, not twice. And because in anger, he hit the rock the second time. He didn't get to go in the promised land. King David committed adultery and led to murder. Peter said, I don't care what the rest of these disciples do. I'll never, ever deny you. And then he did it three times in one night. But the bulk of their life, those were occasional sidesteps. The bulk of their life was that they were living their life for God. Guys, the difference is this. The true Christian really knows God. They've got a relationship with God. They've got a relationship with Christ. A counterfeit, a pretender may talk about God and get involved in religious activities, but but a pretender or a counterfeit does not really know God. They don't have the seed of God in them. They've not really been born again into the family of God. But a believer, because he knows Christ, he's going to live a life of habitual obedience. It doesn't mean you'll never slip. It doesn't mean you'll never fall. But it means habitually you will be concerned about obeying God. If you can live a life to where you just live it however you want to, and you don't care what God thinks, and you're living a rebellion against his will, and it doesn't bother you one bit, you might need to ask yourself if you really know Christ as your Savior. The key verse again was verse 10. Let's read it again. By this it is evident, who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Look at those first five words. By this it is is evident. What's evident in your life? What what is evident in your life? Are are you practicing righteousness or are you practicing sin? What's the habit of your life? What's the bulk of your life? Because that's what he's calling us to evaluate. He's not saying if you're a real believer and all of a sudden you have a slip into sin. He's not saying that, that you're lost and you're not authentic. Like I said, the great heroes of the faith did that. He is saying, if the bulk of your life is practicing sin instead of practicing righteousness, you've got a problem. The words of 1 John, since I've asked you to read it over the next three weeks, don't ever do this with the Bible at all, but especially the next three weeks of 1 John. Don't turn there and read this and say, Aha, I'm going to apply that to that person's life. I see that in this person's life. That's not what I'm asking you to do. That's not what God wants you to do. Apply this to your life. 
ask yourself if you're really authentic or not. Guys, we need to ask ourselves questions like these. I mean, honestly, examine yourself and ask yourself these questions. Do I live my life mindful of whose I am and what I shall be when Christ returns? Do I live my life driven by what Christ came to do? Do I spend time abiding in Christ through daily Bible reading and prayer? Do I have the divine nature, God's seed that we talked about within me, or am I merely pretending to be a Christian? Has any unconfessed sin defiled my inner person, my inner man? Am I willing as a Christian to confess that and forsake it? Do I allow my old nature to control my thoughts and my desires, or does the divine nature rule me? When temptation comes, do I, do I play with it? I mean, do I, do I keep it around and look at it and play with it a little bit, or do I flee from it? Do I immediately yield to the divine nature within me? The life that is real is honest with God about questions like those. After I got started into this series and I realized God wanted me to go this direction before we started the other series I already had planned, I was reading in chapter 1. <clears throat> Of course, in chapter 1, he starts out talking about, hey, we held him, we hurt him, we touched him, he's real, we know who he was. But he says this in verse 3 and 4, that which we've seen and heard we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ, and we are writing these things to you so that our joy may be complete. I don't want to come here week in and week out. And you sit through the songs and you listen to me preach. And me get to heaven one day and find out you're not there. Because you're a pretender, you're a counterfeit instead of being real. John said, I want you to have fellowship with us. The only way we can have real fellowship with each other is through Christ. The only way our joy can be complete. Guys, if, if, if I get to heaven and see some of you are not there, that's going to affect my joy. The only way our joy can be complete is knowing Christ together. Knowing Him for real knowing for sure that we know Him. I know it's been a little bit of a heavy message, so let me give you a little bit of encouraging words before I close. First John 2, verse 1 through 3. My little children, I'm writing, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. Don't be practicing sin. Don't think it's okay to sin as a believer. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father Jesus Christ, the righteous. Aren't you glad when you make that mistake, when you make that sidestep, when you fall short, you've got an advocate that's at the right hand of God praying for you. But that's only true if you really know Him. 
Let's pray. Father, Father, I pray over these next two weeks, both as we read and spend time in 1 John and as we spend time focusing on 1 John and the, in the messages, that you'll help us to where we'll hear you clearly. Father, if there's someone that thought they were saved and they're not really, they deceive themselves or Satan has them deceived. And they'd have to admit the, the practice of their life, the bulk of their life involves practicing sin. Father, help them to see that that's not your will for their life. If they really don't know you as Savior, draw them to yourself and give them the faith they need to authentically trust in Christ. Father, for those of us that have authentically trusted in Christ, but maybe we've got some some sidesteps away from your will going on in our lives, some sins that are active in our lives right now. God, convict us. Help us to understand that as believers, we can't practice sin. Not that we'll never sin, but we can't practice it. We shouldn't enjoy it. It shouldn't be the bulk of who we are. Father, help us as believers to repent of sin that may be active in our lives. Ask you to help us with it. Help us to, God, help us to be motivated by whose we are if we belong to you. By what we will be one day when Christ comes. Help us to be motivated and driven by what you came to do in your Son to take away sin and destroy the works of the devil. Father, help us to dwell in Christ. To spend time in fellowship with Him so we can have greater victory over temptation and failure in our lives. For it's in Christ's name we pray. John will be here at the front. I will be. Daryl is here at the front. If you need to talk to either of us, we're here. We'll be here after the service. I'm not having a design trying to get somebody to doubt their salvation, but if you are seriously doubting your salvation, you might need to listen and ask yourself, is that the Holy Spirit speaking to me? Like I said in the message, it's better to be a little bit embarrassed now than to be embarrassed at the throne of God. At least you can get it right now if you don't really know Him as Savior. You can get it right now. You can't at the judgment seat. It's too late. Please stand. God speaks to your heart. We invite you. Are you an authentic Christ follower? If you'd like to know Jesus and find out what it means to follow Him today, just pray something like this. Lord Jesus, I realize I need you and your forgiveness. I invite you to be the boss of my life. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. I receive you as my Savior and my Lord. Make me the kind of person you want me to be. Amen. 
If you prayed that prayer, we'd love to talk with you. We're here to pray with you, love you, and offer support. Please contact us at day3church.com. We care about you, and we want to connect with you. Until next time, this is Pastor John reminding you that God is greater than your circumstance, and His mercies are new every morning. It's time to experience a new day in your life.